the rules have changed. In a single generation, revolutions in technology have transformed the way we live, work, and do business. That we are actually doing it, you know, that we are not dreaming about it. We are a response, we are an answer. We go together. Want to arm the people? Uh, I've been saying it for a while. This 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 idea of relay is is my means of arming the retailers and arming the shoppers and arming the community. And I don't mean that in a, in a violent way. You know, I think you know an armament is a tool. You know, usually it's a tool for warfare. But in this sense, it's it's merely a tool. But I want to arm you with the tools necessary to create control of your own local economy and the way that wealth changes hands in your space and give you your community back to a sense. And if you guys are all involved in the way that people shop and the way things move on a day-to-day -day basis and everyone who owns the product to sell, buys the product and moves the product are all working together all on the same page about how it needs to get done and where it's coming from and where it's coming from it's within a circle of influence that immediately affects all of those people within it i think that that's a powerful thing and i want people to possess that that's why this idea means a lot to me as you know a founder in it but i think that's why it's gonna mean a lot to people Man, it's cool to hear yourself. You can kind of like leave yourself a time capsule how I did. Because that recording is now more than a year old. It's from February of 2021. If I take my best guess of when we sat down to record it, you know, not even when it came out. And when I hear myself in that little one minute snippet, I hear a lot. First and foremost, I'm very thankful that I upgraded my microphone and took the time to learn a little bit about how to navigate a digital audio workstation and how to use an EQ and some spectral editing skills. I don't know. You guys listen to this, so maybe you'll have to tell me, but I think the audio quality is leaps and bounds above where it started. You know, I remember where I was, you know, obviously I'm in my room in Smyrna with this little $50 microphone and my homemade sound booth that, you know, is comprised of bed cushions and cardboard to do my best at isolating the microphone to get the best sound I can. And a little more than a year later, I have a totally separate room where I do my recordings in near silence, not perfect, but the things I've learned about how to, to make this audio show have allowed me to watch it develop as I develop. And it's just so cool to be able to, to listen to myself week to week, but then to go back more than a calendar year ago and say, wow, I'm better now. And I... I don't know if I ever thought I would be, because back then I was sitting down with headphones on and that little microphone reading 
receipts and labels on my desk, trying to force myself to become accustomed to the sound of my own voice on recording. I was and still often write in paragraph form everything I think I might want to say in an episode because I couldn't fathom turning a microphone on and just speaking wantonly and carefree about whatever it was I wanted to talk about that day. Couldn't imagine it. But that was a year ago. These days, when I'm strapped for an episode or I didn't manage to book a guest that week, you can find me in my little hovel in my apartment in Nashville just talking like I am now. But I hear myself a guy who's scared to say the wrong thing. I hear myself a guy who is very unsure of what it is he wants this podcast, this show, this audio archive of a moment in time to be like and how he wants it to be received. I'm also thankful that I've come to a place where that's not the first thing on my mind when I sit down and press record every week. The other things I hear when I hear myself in that in that old episode, though, are a little less surface. They're a little more meta. Um, I hear the hope in my voice that if I could travel back in time and watch myself record this this episode again, I'm not sure I felt in that moment that I had the hope that I hear. You know, we you got to think. This idea was something we started to tinker with and draw on cardboard and piece together and type up documents about and draw on my chalkboard in my room at the fraternity house in 2019. A year later, all of our lives are entirely upended in a moment by a global pandemic. And we live nearly a year After that, before I meet our third co-founder, TJ, in person. Until then, we were building a company thousands of miles apart, entirely on Zoom. So for me to be sitting in my room in Smyrna, driving 45 minutes plus to my restaurant job, or spending all night awake at my factory job, barely sleeping, barely eating, and coming home to do this, and not even getting as much done as I should day by day with it, to hear myself say that my vision for what we're building is to offer an arm, an armament to the people, to offer power to communities, to reconnect people and give them shared social and fiscal responsibility that creates a network that can't be touched by outside forces because we all rely on one another. It is eerily possessing of some youthful glow I thought I had lost a long time ago. So it's it's both strange and refreshing at the same time to know that just a year ago, I still believed in this notion of being a reckless do-gooder and that I had the capacity and the skills and the opportunities to recklessly do good at scale with something of my own design and invention. 
Do I believe that today? I think the short answer is yes, but with an asterisk. Because even then a year ago when I was a fledgling podcaster, and I still am, but when I was even more green to it than I am now, I was also still very green to what it was to found a company, to be in a quote-unquote startup, to, to be in the quote-unquote logistics and warehousing space, which, you know, we have done our best to carve a lane into, but the reality of it is that this idea touches so many different industries. To, to label ourselves as one is equally as irresponsible for whichever label we put on because we're not entirely that thing. And there's so much about that thing we still don't know. But a year ago, I really didn't know much of it. There's been a lot of reading, a lot of question asking, a lot of interviews, a lot of failed pitches. In between them, that's taught me way more about this space I'm claiming to be in. And it's also taught me about what scale means. It doesn't just mean more hiring and it doesn't just mean more business and it doesn't just mean more dollars. Scale means expanding the imagination of what this operation is and building out new elements of it and new systems and new processes that can be managed by people you hire and that can generate more revenue. It's not just continuing, it is continuing to build. So this phase that I keep feeling like somewhere in my spirit is going to end, where the build is done and now we're operational, is is a false flag. It's not going to be that way. Operating at scale is rebuilding <laughs> in so many ways. And now that I've come to that realization, I I find myself attempting to mentally walk back my grand visions for what this thing is. You know, I, I never really understood as a child why CEOs make the money they make. And you, you get a little bit older and you start talking to people about business and career building and what you're capable of with your skill set and with your passions. And they tell you that CEOs have foresight and that they make decisions not about what's happening today, but what's going to happen five years from now, which is impossible to predict and silly to attempt to prepare for, and CEOs do it every day, which is why they're paid ridiculous amounts of dollars. And I have my opinions on that that concept of it, but at least some elements of it ring true, which is why we have people like Miles Martin involved in this who are willing to do the mental gymnastics and the emotional labor of attempting to prepare for a future that cannot be predicted and will more than likely not go the way you intend. I don't know if that's a responsibility I desire. I don't know if I desire the the stresses and the needs of conceptualizing something like this at scale. Pushing the buttons and, you know, tying on the hinges... Sure. But it's also equally as likely that a year from now, when I come back and I hear this, I've been battered and and worn by the process even more. 
And somehow, I hear hope in my voice a year from now that I didn't know I had today. Maybe 12 months from now, I do feel capable of making those considerations and doing the analysis necessary to predict and plan for an an unpredictable and unplannable future. Because looking back, I thought I was floundering dead in the water with this a year ago, that I would never have time to catch up because I worked too much and I was too far behind and I would never understand what it would take to build and grow this thing. And a year later, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't feel so behind. I don't feel so incapable. I feel the pressure and I feel the squeeze and I feel the demand of of this industry we want to be in demanding more of me, demanding more of my time and demanding more learning out of me. But I don't feel like I might not be able to handle it. The question these days has become how. And I think one of the largest reasons why maybe I don't feel that way is everything you've heard throughout season two this year. What a joy it is to be able to connect with and then sit down with such cool people. And I started feeling that in season one when Miles reaches out and tells me, yo, I've met this super awesome founder. Her name's Melinda. She's working on Parcel Health trying to kind of reinvent the wheel of prescription medicine packaging. And I connected with a Joy Paul who works with Tilco guy out of Canada doing white label delivery. It's amazing how successful they've been and how quickly they've been able to do it. And I meet these people and I realize how much they are just like me. But how impressive their knowledge base is and how much they have to offer by simply talking about what it is they do. And so this season I wanted to dig into that and and meet cool people that were adjacent to us or that we could somehow find. The earliest of those, Zoe and Kevin, were gold mines. Zoe has been so ingrained in this process from the jump, behind the scenes. You know, phone calls I didn't know were happening, conversations and ideas that made their way to me, that more than likely originated with her. Just hearing and then offering from her expertise in automation and engineering and how the world functions in spaces we don't understand yet. That's so valuable. And to meet Kevin Lawton, who can, who tells me so much about podcasting and gives me this back catalog of content about this industry we're entering and the people that are making waves and trying to push change and accelerate the industry just like he is. There's so much to unpack and so much good information and he remains as a resource. So Kevin, if you happen to hear this, thank you for everything you've done and all of the knowledge you've been willing to impart with me as a podcaster, and then with us as a team of guys who want to enter this logistics space. There's a, there's a portion of our interview with Kevin where he says something to the effect of what really needs to happen with logistics and warehousing is that we need to find a way to start introducing this to people at much earlier ages rather than their post-secondary education or rather than their first job outside of college. It shouldn't be a place people just land because a global supply chain is just that. It's a global linking 
of networks of products and materials and concepts. And all of it has to be managed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Or as we've noticed over the past year or two, things start to crumble rapidly with, pro- with problems originating in one spot. And so when I hear we need to start introducing these things earlier, I'm reminded of other guests we've had this season and ideas that I wish I had been given earlier in my life. Like Chucky Okobe with basic instructions, neurolinguistic programming is not a phrase I'd heard, yet there are books for Chucky to stumble over in the library and have his life and his athletic career and ultimately his passions and his vision changed by a single book. There's mountains of research in it that go into being compiled into a book for Chucky to trip over in the library. And if I had known earlier, as a high school athlete, so convinced he was God's gift to second base, and he was God's gift to to the two-hole in the lineup, that the way I talk to myself and the way I think about what I'm doing would be so much more functional for me in the long run if I could learn to push away my negativity and embrace my positivity and change the way I speak to myself and change the way I look at outcomes and watch the outcomes change. If I had met a Carissa Wheeler as a child who was fortunate enough to find what she wanted to be, which was an entertainer in any capacity she could be able to do it, and then accept throughout her whole life that she did not have to do things the way people wanted because God could plant different dreams in her heart for different seasons and she could do what she felt for as long as she felt it. Man, if those were things I had known as a 12-year-old boy who was constantly being told how smart he was and how he had to change the world because the world was counting on people like him. If I had just known to block out all of the negativity and the anxiety that came with hearing that constantly and accept that I could learn what I wanted to learn and practice what I wanted to practice and try and fail at all of these different things until I found the dream that had been planted in my heart for that season of my life. What would I have done differently? Would Miles Martin and I have met when track season started? Or would I have said, you know what, maybe I don't have to be a baseball player just because it's the thing I'm best at right now. Maybe I can go try soccer. Maybe it's not a stupid foot game. Maybe I could be halfway decent at it. And maybe he and I meet on the soccer team somewhere. Maybe we don't meet at all. It's easy to reminisce and sit and say, you know, I could have done all of this differently, but... I think what I really go for when I try to to imagine how much I could have done differently is plan for what I'm going to do differently now that I know. And so I'm thankful for, for guests like Chucky and guests like Clarissa who remind me that my spirit and my mind can change so much of what I see in front of me every day. And in the spirit of you know changing what you see in front of you, and believing that there are different dreams in your heart for different seasons of your life, you can look to those conversations we had with Matthew Lee and with Ghana Temko. Matthew, who is a Sewanee alum, cool guy that I remember from my time there, 
great athlete who decided to chase his dreams to be a professional at the thing he felt he was best at. And after his stint doing that, he said, you know, I could continue to pursue this further and continue to, to dig it out, but I have ideas and I have things I want to want to put into the world. But it's going to take some learning and it's going to take some steps from me. So if I'm going to start, I should start now. And so as Matt builds sense and prepares for a launch soon, I'm inspired by the fact that he did exactly what I wanted to do. I never got the chance to be a professional in any sport that uh, that I wanted. You know, I, I thought I was a halfway decent baseball player, and you know, obviously it wasn't going to be my story on the track. But you know, I did what I could with what I was given, and people like Matt epitomized that. And then to to have the gumption and the faith to step away from that at a time when you can still probably participate and say, I can also participate elsewhere. I'm also skilled in these other areas, even if I have to learn how the process works. I'm capable. There's some power in that. And I admire it. And once you've done it a few times, you end up kind of in a position somewhere like Gonatemco, where you've done this multiple times, but now you see things in the world that you wish were different. And you know that you can take the time out from a family. You can take the time out from other companies. You can take the time out from wealth building. And you can pursue the production and distribution of a tool you wish existed for you. I like to think that that's somewhat what we're doing here, even though it's our first venture. And at some stage in Ghana's interview, she says, you know, of course I'm going to do this again. I think it'll be more philanthropic. I think I want to give more. Next time, I don't. I think I don't just want to make products. I think I want to, to put something into the world that benefits at a high level and in different ways that I'm currently trying to benefit. And I ask her, you know, through the exhaustion, through the, through the failures, through all of the things that it takes to make something come to fruition, you want to do it again after you've done it multiple times? She says, yeah, it's a, it's a character thing for me. And to look back and hear myself talk and to, to have gleaned all of this from these people we spoke to this season, it becomes much easier to believe that I too am of that character because if I was not, I don't know if I'd be making this episode for you right now. I don't know if I would be reading and writing and creating for the sake of this business right now if I wasn't of that character. And sometimes when you lay down and stare at the ceiling fan, it's hard to feel that way about yourself. But if you can see yourself and others who you believe those things about, it can be a little bit easier to believe those things about yourself. And beyond just believing in yourself, I have written on the whiteboard in my little office here you need to understand how technology changes what's possible. And that's from Alan, who you heard from last week. And Alan is the guy who's done exactly what we want to do, which is find a lane in logistics and warehousing, own it, and then build things on top of it that drive the field forward. And whether it's through his writing or through his teaching or through his businesses that he operates or invests in, 
all of the work he did with UPS, who, if you've heard any episode of this, you know I'm very fond of the way UPS has done things. And I think they're kind of the hallmark of Last Mile Fulfillment. Alan is one of those guys. And for him to take 30-ish minutes out of his schedule, and for that 30 minutes to be filled with nothing but new information, responsiveness, and support and hopefulness for what we're attempting to do because he can see the vision because this is his field and he understands that to accelerate its growth, we have to disrupt the current operations of it. And so he appreciates our effort to do just that. It's reassuring in a way that I'm, I'm not entirely sure a lot of people understand. But I think the people that will understand how that reassurance feels are anyone who's tried to do something that doesn't immediately pay off. I think of the Matts and the Chuckies and the Carissas who have a passion and who have a skill and want to build their lives on that skill and they're willing to root around and search for new opportunities, to spend the extra hours and to, for lack of better terms, eat shit to get it. I'm astounded by them. I'm astounded by the Allens and the Ghanas and the Zoes who have such a pedigree at what they do and they still choose to find ways to share that pedigree with others and expand what's possible in their field. I'm astounded by those people. The Kevins of the world who are not shy at all about telling you when I started I had no idea where I was going to end up but I just knew I wanted to go somewhere. Give you the opportunity to see a vision of yourself if you just see it through. And so because of that I'll commit to it on this episode. We'll be back for season 3 before you know it. With a new feel, with new things to say, and new people to meet. I've said it multiple times, I'm thankful for every set of ears I get every week on this thing. If it's one, if it's a hundred. The gift is having something to say. And as we look ahead at Relay, um, this summer looks like Lots of phone calls and lots of emails and lots of work to finally show you guys what we've got. It looks like meeting our interns and getting really good work done with them and hopefully providing them with an experience that helps them grow and inspires them to do new things when they return to school next year or when they graduate. It looks like us taking what we've been doing since 2019 and pushing go and seeing where it leads. And hopefully, it looks like something I haven't imagined in my my doomsday envisioning of what it'll be like if I fail. Because at the top of this episode, you heard one minute of me talking a year ago. And in that same episode, I said, I really want an opportunity to fail. A year later, 
I feel like I want the same thing. But I think the likelihood of me failing has reduced by some notable measure because of who's around me, what they're capable of, and the fact that we aren't tired yet. So now when I lay down and stare at the ceiling fan, I like to think I'm not just imagining. I like to think I'm planning. And when I wake up and I roll out of bed and I stop planning, I like to think I'm also doing. So it'll be some time before you guys hear from me again. And in the meantime, keep up with us at www.relay.us on all socials at underscore relay. And be on the lookout for any new updates. And hang on just a little while longer and I'll tell you all about season three. It's been a pleasure. It's been a joy. As always, I'll be back with more for you soon.